1: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. He is just an obsessive goal scorer.
0: But they have to understand I chose to, to stay in my country because I'm French and...
2: I've got a problem with soccer, to be fair. Oh,
3: what a
2: start! What they can guarantee to you is that they want to keep everything secret.
1: Welcome to House of Champions everybody, YouTube friends, drop in your comments and questions in the chat and make sure you smash the like and subscribe buttons as we talk with the man Fabrizio Romano, he's in the house, here we go. I am Ian Joy, I'm joined by the House of Champions Dream Team once again, it's Jonathan Johnson over there in Paris, Nigel Rio Coker, somewhere in London, Miami, wherever he spends his time nowadays, he's got multiple houses, so just happy to have him on House of Champions, Fabrizio Romano you are the most followed man on the internet
2: but also the hardest working man on the internet right now how are you doing buddy oh great thank you thank you nice to be here with you with the guys always a pleasure
1: All right. Thanks to everybody out there for joining us. Please make sure you drop in a question. If you have a question for Fabrizio or Jonathan or Nigel, drop it into the comments right there. We'll try to get to the best ones uh, as quickly as possible. Let's begin with Diego Simeone and Fabrizio. Um, What is the latest on Simeone? Obviously, the news coming out here that he could be on his way out at the end of the season. Update us all, please.
2: Yes, this is a possibility. This is a possibility for for the end of the season. Uh, we know that was a really complicated season for for Atletico Madrid, not just in the Champions League, but in general. There is a feeling around the story of Diego Simeone Atletico Madrid that maybe we are at the end that things are not as few years ago when Simeone was doing an incredible job at Atletico Madrid. So after many, and many years together, there is this possibility uh, of Simeone and Atletico Madrid parting ways in the summer. We have to see on the financial side of the story. We have to remember that Diego Simeone is one of the best paid, if not the best. I have to check the final updates after the new content of Pep Guardiola, but he's <laughs> one of the best paid managers in the world for more than €20 million euros net per season. So it's a crazy salary. Of course, is a pre-COVID salary. So it's now football is now completely changing on that, but it was a huge contract. So we have to say how financially they can manage it because the contract of Simeone is until June 2024. So they have one more year together, potentially. But I'm told that this is a possibility for Simeone to leave the club at the end of the season. Again, it's not something 100 percent decided yet. They have to discuss. They are now working together on the market. For example, Joe Felix left Atletico Madrid because of his relationship with Simeone. So it means that Simeone is still influential at Atletico Madrid, but we know that the future could be different.
3: What do you expect uh, to be Simeone's next move, Fab? Do you think that he'll stay at club level? Or do you think that he could be tempted by something uh, internationally? Because obviously Simeone has uh, you know, quite a storied playing history in Italy as well. He has experience there many years ago. Obviously, football has changed a lot. Italian football has changed a lot since he was last there. Do you think there's a possibility that we could see him uh, you know, go to one of his former clubs? I don't know, maybe a Lazio or Inter Milan?
2: The problem is the salary. Uh, Lazio and Inter will never pay 20 millions for a manager uh, per season, but not even 10 at the moment. So I think it's on Simeone to decide what kind of decision he wants to make on, on his future about the contracts because if he wants to continue with that kind of salary I think there are maybe four or five clubs in the world where he can go otherwise if he wants to try something different for example I don't know Inter or any other club it has to be for a completely different salary Inter can't pay that money but Italian clubs in general are not going to pay that money for a manager and also at the moment all the top clubs have very clear ideas on the managers for the future because of course Simeone is not going to any other club in Spain uh, I think in Germany Bayern are going to continue with Nagasman in France at the moment uh, Galtier is doing a great job and they're really happy with him in England Pep Guardiola extended his contract Tenagi is untouchable Arteta no words for his fantastic (coughs) job with Arsenal so I think there are not so many clubs at the moment available for Simeone so maybe it could take some time but again nothing is still 100% decided with Atletico Madrid so let's wait and see
0: Fabrizio my Italian brother Question for you. We've seen a lot of ins and outs. What are you laughing for? If I was born again, I'm going to be born Italian. I keep telling you that. i get, I got along so well with all my Italian teammates. They love me. Anyway, Fabrizio, question for you. We've seen a lot of ins and outs at Chelsea. What can you tell me with uh, something I saw recently about Mario Pochettino's name being mentioned at Chelsea? So is Graham Potter now under pressure? And could that be another club that potentially might even look at Diego Simeone?
2: At the moment, I think they are not, from what I'm told, they are not thinking of replacing Potter with any other manager they want to back the manager they want to protect the manager and when I say they is not just Todd and the owners but it's also on the board they now have a new board they're going to have two new directors in February Joe Shields coming from Southampton Lawrence Stewart coming from Monaco and they all together want to protect the manager they know that changing managers every six months is not the solution they want to protect Grand Potter so at the moment they're not speaking to any manager to your question Pochettino is one of the managers they discussed internally when they Decided to change Thomas Tuchel so it's true that they had uh, an admiration for Pochettino but then no more contests after they appointed Graham Potter the only idea is to go with Graham Potter so at the moment they are backing him and mm, honestly I don't see any any change any imminent change for for from February or March then at the end of the season we will see but at the moment everything points to Graham Potter as the manager of Chelsea also for next season
3: uh, also on the topic of uh, Pochettino and Simeone, is there a possibility that, you know, assuming that Simeone does ultimately move on, uh, that Pochettino could perhaps be one of the candidates to replace him in Madrid?
2: It could be, but I think the most likely name could be
3: Luis Enrique, from
2: what I'm told. After he left the Spanish national team, I told they. Some into the club at Atletico Madrid really appreciate Luis Enrique, so he could be one of the options. For Pochettino, there are many possibilities because he's exploring the market. He's waiting to make his next move after the PSG experience. And so let's see if Atletico Madrid will think about him. But the name I'm hearing is, is more on Luis Enrique. But again, let's see what happens with Simeone because the legacy since Simeone at Atletico Madrid is something really special. So let's see how the second part of the season will go. But at the moment, if I have to make a name today, I would say Luis Enrique.
1: Just real quickly, I just want to let everybody know you're watching House of Champions. It's Fabrizio Romano, Nigel Rio Coker, and Jonathan Johnson in the house. We see all of your comments. A lot of Chelsea fans in the house. We also have a fan for uh, Nigel Rio Coker. The almighty Blues FC says, What's up, Rio Coker, big man? What a player you were with a little he love knows. heart as well. He Obviously, knows. a lot of love for Fabrizio Romano as well. <laughs> Let's turn our attention to Jao Felix, Fabrizio, and um, making this lone move to Chelsea Football Club. Give us the details, Of the contract, great stuff by you, obviously breaking the news. How did this move come
2: about? I also find it really interesting that he extended his contract at Atleti. Yes, first of all, they decided to go fast on this deal because of the injuries. Today, Graham Potter in the press conference a few minutes ago said that uh, Pulisic will be out for a couple of months. Uh, Sterling will also be injured and so unavailable for for some weeks. So they had many injuries. The situation at Chelsea is really complicated. They are not winning games, and so they wanted to help the manager bring in an important player like Joe Felix. They had a conversation with his agent Orkamendish almost two weeks ago, as uh, Man United and Arsenal too. So all the three clubs spoke to Orkamendish. But Chelsea were not 100% convinced, not about the player, because they appreciate the player, otherwise they were not going to sign him, but about the conditions of the deal. 11 million euros loan fee, salary covered until the end of the season, taxes of the deal of Chelsea, so a really expensive deal for a six-month loan. This is why Chelsea were waiting on that one and saying, okay, let's see uh, later in the window, not now. But then, with all the injuries and with a really complicated situation around Graham Potter, with a lot of pressure around the manager, they decided to go fast on Monday to contact Atletico Madrid and the manager of the player and to pay what Atletico Madrid asked for Joe Felix. Again, €11 million Euros loan fee, the world salary covered, and agreement with the player he wanted to try this premier league experience so this is why it was a really fast deal because of the injuries and to help the manager with a new with a new solution why he extended the contract with atletico madrid because there is no buy option in the contract with Chelsea. So Atletico Madrid wanted to feel protected, like saying to, to Joe Felix, OK, we let you go on loan, but we want to make sure that you are coming back here and we are not going to be in trouble with your contract extension in case you want to leave the club again in the summer. And so they agreed on a contract extension till 2027, also because we don't know who's going to be the manager next summer at Atletico Madrid. So this could be one point.
0: Fabrizio, I know you're not going to say it, but I'll say it. That's another <laughs> panic move by Chelsea, but I'll leave it there. Um, last question for you from me, Probitio. A young player that not a lot of people are talking about, but I know well I watched him, Danilo from Palmeiras. Was there any other suitors for him than just Nottingham Forest? Because I think he's a top player and I knew there was interest a while ago from Arsenal. Was there any other clubs that coming in for him and do you think he's going to end up at Nottingham Forest?
2: Look, they're negotiating while we are speaking. I have my phone uh, ringing with people calling me on this Danilo story because something is happening today. During the night, they negotiated with Nottingham Forest making a proposal, loan with obligation to buy around 19, 20 million euros. This proposal was received from Palmeiras and they said we are there from what I know. They are not going to accept loan with obligation. They want a permanent move, which is basically the same. But when you have a loan with obligation, you have to include some clauses in the contract. And Palmeiras said, we want a permanent move immediately for Danilo or nothing. So at the moment, there is still no full agreement between clubs. I agree with you. This is a really interesting player. Very good player, especially for 20 million euros. Uh, yeah. He has a very, very great potential. I think it's a very interesting move for, for Forrest, but it's not done yet. And they told me, keep an eye on Monaco. Because Monaco are very good with young talents from South America. And now they're moving on, uh, on Danilo, trying to hijack the move. And so let's see what happens in the next hours.
3: How busy do you expect Monaco to be between now and the end of the month, Fab, uh, given that they've got the money from Badi Eshil?
2: I think they will be busy. I think they will be busy potentially for the new centre-back. Let's see what happens with the goalkeeper situation because Bayern wanted Sommer but there is no agreement with Borussia Mönchengladbach and so Nubel could still be an option for Bayern to recall him but they don't have any clause in the contract and so they have to negotiate with Monaco and so in that case let's see who's going to be the new Monaco goalkeeper in case Bayern will decide to proceed for uh, for Nubel. So Monaco will be busy and and then I'm really curious to see this Danilo story, how it will finish because it's a very good player, and Forest Monaco are moving. So I think next 24, 48 hours will be crucial.
3: Go on, uh, okay, well, I was going to say as a follow on from Monaco, there's been a lot of speculation about Paul Mitchell. Uh, obviously, some big positions at some big clubs have sort of come and gone over the last year or so. You've had Newcastle, you've had Chelsea. Uh, has there been any more sort of whispers uh, within the industry potentially about uh, uh, his future? I know that a lot was made sort of in and around Monaco that he wasn't at the the, the recent cup exit game against uh, Rodez. So, is there a possibility that, that he could be on the move? Because obviously, that would hugely impact uh, Monaco's transfer dealings. Given how important that sporting director role is at that specific club,
2: yes, I agree with you, and he's really highly rated. This is why we always had many rumors on Manchester United when Ralph Ragnick was there, his big friend Ralph Ragnick, but also with Chelsea when they decided to rebuild the the board structure. So. Many links, but at the moment, I'm told he's still having the full control of Monaco market. For example, on this Danilo deal, Paul Mitchell is actively working on that. And so I don't see him moving now. Let's see in the summer how the director's market will change. At the moment, it's something really quiet between the top clubs. And Paul Mitchell is one for top clubs, of course. So at the moment, it's it's a bit quiet. Let's see at the end of the season.
1: All right, Fabrizio. let's get into it real quickly, Nigel, before you jump in here, because we've thrown forty-five questions at Fabrizio from all different angles. <laughs> let's get back to Jauh Felix move and the domino effect that it could have on the rest of the transfer moves. Um, obviously, Mudrik comes into play. We're seeing uh, many names mentioned, but when you have a Zhao Felix moving to Chelsea, um, you've got Christopher Nkunku already moving to Chelsea. You know what kind of moves will be affected because of the Zhao Felix move? I mean, in particular, I think a lot of people in the comments right now want to know what's happening. With mudrick because there was rumors of going to chelsea obviously they have a lot of money to spend now it uh, looks like he's kind of going to be pushed down to towards arsenal once again will that affect the price tag and what is the domino effect now of joe felix making this long move
2: yes there are many many changes after this move of joe felix to to chelsea first one about Mudrik. we have to clarify that for the player has always been arsenal the player always wanted arsenal as priority so on player side nothing has changed it I see many rumors in the last two three days saying he's almost done. Modric to Arsenal. At the moment, it's not done. At the moment, it's a negotiation between Arsenal and Shakhtar. They are speaking. They are negotiating. The player wants Arsenal, and this is helping Arsenal in the negotiation. They are confident. They are optimistic. But it's not a done deal yet. Arsenal know that Shakhtar want 100 million euros for Mihailo Modric. So at the moment, is that, is that crazy
1: though, Fabrizio? i sorry to interrupt you, but 100 freaking million euros. I know he's good. But he's he's really he's played a bit of Champions League football. He's clearly uh, very popular on social media, but consistency is key for someone who's such a young star to spend that type of money. Do
2: you think we get a hundred million for this guy? I'm not sure they will get one hundred million. I think they will if they want to sell Mudrik this window, they have to accept something less, close to 80, 85. But honestly, if you want my opinion, I think Shakhtar have been Fantastic in the negotiations, also in okay. the summer, because in the summer, in a really difficult political situation and football situation, of course, because it was a terrible situation around Shakhtar, when they got 30 million euros, 35 from Everton, I think all the other clubs in other positions with that kind of situation around the club were going to accept 35, 40 million euros for a player like Modric, who is a very good talent, but he didn't have this Champions League exposure during last summer. And they said, no way, we want way more than this. So they were always waiting and waiting and waiting. And at the end, now they were right. So let's see what they will do now in January in on this negotiation. Also, we have to clarify that the player wants to go. The player wants to go to Arsenal. The player is obsessive with Arsenal. So there is also kind of respect to the player. This is why I feel that at the end, they can accept something less than 100 million euros. But as of now, they are still asking for 100 million euros. Let me just say that Arsenal are really confident because they are speaking to Shakhtar every single day. They are pushing in this negotiation. They're trying to find a way with bonuses, with percentage on future sale. So to create a package to give Shakhtar what they want, but not guaranteed 100 billion. So... Talks on Arsenal confident, but it's not done yet. And to your question, for the domino, we said about Budric, May United will go for Fedgård, now this deal is very advanced, and Atletico Madrid have to replace Joe Felix, and the player is Memphis Depay. They are negotiating with Barcelona for Memphis Depay.
0: Is it Arsenal or is it London? I'm just saying, Fabrizio. Anyway, my last question, another top talent I'm a big fan of, I've stuck my neck out. I've said this, Fabrizio, I gave my point in saying that Jude Bellingham, in my opinion, I think this young man should go to Real Madrid. I think it's the club for him. It will be beneficial for him and beneficial for England. What's the progress on Jude Bellingham?
2: It's going to be slow. I know that uh, we have many stories every single day on Jude Bellingham. It's normal because, as you mentioned, he's a special player. And so it's normal to have many stories. But it's not something to be decided now. Borussia Dortmund are really strong on their position. They want big money. They will take long on the negotiations with all the clubs. So there are three clubs now really pushing Jurgen Klopp for Liverpool, he really wants Jude Bellingham as top priority for the summer. This is why Liverpool didn't move for Enzo Fernandes in January transfer window, because they are obsessed with Jude Bellingham. So in the summer, priority Liverpool uh, for uh, for uh, for them is, is is Jude Bellingham. Real Madrid, because for sure Real Madrid will be in the race. For sure Real Madrid are pushing. They're speaking to people close to, to Jude Bellingham. And then keep an eye again on Man City. Because Man City have a very good relationship with Borussia Dortmund. They are trying to speak to people close to the player. The father of the player is the only one who is taking care of the negotiation, Marcus Bellingham. So there are no He's agents the agent. involved. Exactly. Yeah. And so, He's an ex-police officer. I know exactly, i got, exactly. got friends. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not at Fabrizio's so, level, but I know. <laughs> <laughs> and so discussions are ongoing, but everything is still open. Eh? Nothing is decided. So Liverpool, Man City and Real Madrid.
3: Fab, obviously, uh, it's been a busy couple of hours for for Villa, uh, close to completing the deal uh, for Real Betis' Moreno. Uh, But there's also been some interesting rumors starting to surface that uh, Gendouzi and uh, Emery could be reunited at Villa Park. Do you have anything uh, for us uh, on that? Because I know that Villa Twitter in particular has been set alight by these rumors sort of in the last 12 to 24 hours.
2: Yes, it's true that Aston Villa want the player. They spoke to people close to the player. It's true, as we know, that Duna Emery is a big, big fan of Guendouzi, so they have this great connection. and This is why they had some, some contacts. As of now, Olympique Marseille have not received any official bid. So I was checking also a few minutes ago, and Marseille are still waiting to see if Aston Villa will arrive with a big proposal. Villa are working on it. They want to make an, an opening bid to understand also the Olympique Marseille position. They already invested money on Malinowski, so this is why Villa... Are going to try for Gandusi. It's true that he's a target, but at the moment, uh, there is still no direct negotiation between clubs because Marseille are waiting for Villa to move. So let's see how it will evolve. But I think Aston Villa will be really busy in the next days. They need new players. As you mentioned, Alex Moreno is going to be the first one because the deal is done. It will be announced, I think, today or tomorrow, but everything is done. Uh, they are moving also on other targets. Let's see what happens with Danjuma from Villarreal. He's appreciated by many clubs in England. He could leave on a loan with a buy close included in the contract. Una Emery knows the player very well, but also Everton want him, I think could be a very interesting move for the January final weeks. And so I think Villa will be, will be really busy.
1: All right, we got two or three minutes left with Fabrizio Romano before we do go to break. Let's get to some of the questions from the comments. Finn Thomas asking, can we get some Tottenham news from Fabrizio? Please talk about the Spurs. Anything there? Anything happening with Spurs right now? Obviously, we know what's happening off the field. But what about on the field as well? Any transfer? It's, well?
2: Not a, it's not an easy market for Tottenham because as Antonio Conte always says, they have to find young players. This is the vision of the club, but also with normal salaries and not with crazy fees. So it's not easy at all to find these players, especially in the general transfer window. A player they love is Pedro Porro from uh, Sporting, this right-back who is considered perfect to play with Antonio Conte in a 3-5-2 system. So this is why Tottenham are in direct contact with his agents, in direct contact with intermediaries to take care of the deal. Uh, they need some, some push because it's not easy to convince Sporting. It's not easy. They have this release clause in the contract, 45 million euros. And when in November they extended the contract of the manager, Ruben Amorim, they promised him that they only sold players for the full release clause value. 45 million euros or nothing so at the moment sporting insists on that money but tottenham are trying tottenham are pushing the player is keen on the move this is good news for tottenham because can help in the negotiation and so pedro porro is the priority another name i would keep an eye on is uh, piero Incapie as a center back the ecuador center back playing for Bayer leverkusen uh, left footed very good player also an in inter and napoli list for the summer he could be one of the targets for uh, for Tottenham. They are going to have a meeting in the next days to discuss about Pierre and Capier with people close to the player. But the target is for the summer, more than for January. So let's see if they will try to anticipate the deal.
1: All right, there's another name that keeps coming up in the comments right now. Start to Jabi continuously asking about Yusufo Mukoko. We are all big fans of this kid at Borussia Dortmund. Um, I obviously read the German media intensely, and his agent seems like an absolute idiot. He seems to be pushing his kid outside of Dortmund very quickly. It's like he's trying to force a move away from Dortmund. And uh, Fabici, I don't know if you saw the, the, the comments from Jurgen Kohler, who mentioned. Uh, if this kid wants to leave Borussia Dortmund and doesn't realize what he has, then let him go. Let him get out of here, which I think is the wrong way to go about it. This is a talented kid, but what do you think is the right move
2: for him and what are you hearing about Mukoku? I think there, there is still a chance for him to stay at Borussia Dortmund. I know, I know the feeling around social media is different, but from what I'm told, there is still a chance for him to stay and to extend his contract with Borussia Dortmund. There are conversations ongoing. Let me say there are also a lot of fake news around this boy because we heard that he wanted a 10 million euros commission to sign a new contract and I'm told this is absolutely not true. Mukoko never asked for 10 million euros commission so I wanted to clarify that. He has a great relationship, especially with the manager, with Edin Terzic, great relationship. And this is why now there are conversations ongoing to try to change the situation and keep the player. It's true that Premier League clubs are approaching Borussia Dortmund. It's normal when you have this kind of wonder kid available on a free in the summer, you try to anticipate the deal in January and say this is why... Um, Premier League clubs are moving but Borussia Dortmund these days and also in these hours are still speaking to people close to the player to extend this contract. So there is still a chance for Borussia Dortmund to keep Mukoko. My personal opinion, that would be absolutely the best solution for all parties involved. For Borussia Dortmund to keep a fantastic player but also for him to stay in in a club he knows with a manager who loves him will give him opportunities. So I think this is the perfect way for Mukoko.
3: And um, finally, Fab, uh, any, uh, any update or concrete update on, uh, Veghorst? I know you alluded to it earlier. Is this, uh, is this one that's going to happen soon? The deal is, is is done between clubs and players. What is missing is that Besiktas
2: have to find a replacement for figures What happened? That yesterday, May United have been in direct communication with Besiktas. Agreement to terminate the loan deal between Besiktas and Burnley. They're going to pay 3 million euros to Besiktas. Agreement between May United and Burnley on a loan deal until the end of the season. Agreement with the player on the salary. Of course, Bakers wants to join May United. But Besiktas have been very clear. We will approve and sign this deal only if we find the right replacement. The player they want is Abubakar from Al-Naz, which is part of the domino because Al-Naz have to uh, make some space, some room for Cristiano Ronaldo to be registered as soon as possible. And so Abubakar is the top target for Besiktas. Negotiations are now ongoing. And so once Besiktas will sign Abubakar or any other striker, it will be time for May United to announce Regors as new striker. Thanks to
1: everybody out there for jumping in the comments. You are watching House of Champions. Fabrizio Romano just joining us. We're going to let him go right now. But before we let him go, Fabrizio, there's a great game on Friday in Serie A. It's Napoli against Juventus. Give me your prediction, please.
2: I see 1-1. One, one. Draw.
1: That you can't say 1-1, one, one, Fabrizio. Yes. No, that's not OK. Why not?
2: <laughs> I would well, say.
1: Come on, you're you're sitting on the fence right there. All right, we love you, you, man. Thank you so much, as (laughs) always, for for joining us here on House of Champions. And applaud here, a golf clap for Fabrizio for joining us. You you. can watch him every week, not only once, but you can watch him twice all the way through the transfer period. So make sure you tune in, but go follow Fabrizio all across his social media platforms. Incredibly active, breaking the best and latest transfer news. Sensational follow. But to everybody out there, make sure you stay with us. We've got more to come from us uh, right after the break. Um, House of Champions, we'll be right back. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Well, don't miss out on any of this area action. Follow some of the biggest stars in the sport like Olivier Giroud, Rafael, Leao, Lautaro Martinez, as they try to lead their teams to the scutetto. How will the table change going forward? Which club has the best chance of winning at all? Which clubs have the most to lose? Find out all the answers and stream every single match from Italy's top soccer league live only on Paramount+. Plus. Try one month for free with the promo code Seria a Welcome back to House of Champions, everybody. It is Ian Joy alongside Jonathan Johnson and Nigel Rio Coker, my co-host. Um, let's get into the discussion. Obviously, great to have Fabrizio right there. We could have thrown a million questions. We, In fact, we did throw a million questions at him right there. We're kind of all over the place, but there's so much to talk about, including JJ, a lot of news coming out of London with Tottenham Hotspur and new ownership, in particular, um, minority stake am I hearing right now? So this week it has been stated that Spurs chairman Daniel Levy met with Qatari Sport investment regarding potential ownership of the club, maybe in that minority stake ownership. Uh, JJ, give me more information if you have. Obviously, you work pretty closely to the Qatari Investment Group. We both have. I think we all have. Um, But in many ways, uh, they're trying to get more part of soccer into their uh, portfolio here.
3: Yeah um, what what we understand and and Ben Jacobs has done a, a great job in breaking this story uh is that QSI are looking to sort of expand um you know their foothold in, in the footballing world we've, we've already seen them pick up a minority stake in Braga in Portugal they won't be selling up uh at PSG they will be opening up uh, a slice of the the club's uh capital uh so there will be a minority stakeholder coming in but the P- they will not be selling psg and and trying to buy uh you know another big premier league club what they are interested in is potentially taking uh you know a minority share in another big club in the premier league and those talks have taken place uh you know with tottenham hotspur there's also been rumors about manchester united and liverpool it's my understanding that while those sorts of uh Discussions might be considered; they haven't actually uh, taken place just yet. So this is kind of QSI dipping their toe in the water with regards to you know some potential involvement in a Premier League club. There's been rumours in the past about the likes of Arsenal, about the likes of Leeds United, uh, you know. But this is sort of the first concrete evidence that QSI are about to get potentially get serious uh, about their interest in getting involved in the Premier League. So let's uh, you know let's see where it leads. But uh, yeah, for the moment, it seems like the discussions have at least taken place with uh, Tottenham and. There is expected to be some developments over the coming months, notably regarding that minority stake in PSG and who comes in uh, for that. Don't forget as well, PSG, uh, you know, are now looking for, uh, you know, a new management figure after Jean-Claude Blanc left or is leaving for Ineos, who, of course, own uh, Nice uh, and their owner Redcliffe has also been looking at potential Premier League clubs as well. So all sort of connected and, uh, and, and linked to the Premier League in some way. Nigel, nothing to add? Nothing to add, mate. JJ's covered it all there.
0: I was just gonna all I was gonna say was just for me, it seems like obviously it's a dip in a toe. And I think from outside looking in, it kind of makes me think of obviously the whole Saudi back take takeover of Newcastle. And they're kind of maybe a bit worried about the blowback and sports washing and human rights issues and stuff like that. So I think it's more of a dip in the toe in a minority stake than going full for it. Because if they wanted to, they could go full for it.
1: Yeah, but if you're a Tottenham fan, what are you thinking about this move, Nigel? Obviously, Daniel Levy's had uh, control of this club for a while now, and they've been very successful, obviously, business-wise. Business-wise, they've been very successful, you have to say. They've been very good. Business-wise, they've that, been also-
3: successful, but what have they won? What's the exactly. trophy that's cabinet? The, that's the, maybe that's fan. the
1: question, though, right? Is that the question? They're, they're hoping to have a bit more money here. Maybe Levy's saying, hey, you know what? Give us more money. We can Listen, uh, spend more of that. Or is he going to take and pocket that money?
0: Ian, Tottenham have been a laughing joke for a long time in England about having such an empty trophy cabinet. From watching Arsenal be successful and all these other clubs do well, Tottenham have been the butts of laughing jokes for a very long time. All Tottenham fans will look to see is money investments. We want to win something. They actually really want to win a trophy. But the problem is Daniel Levy has been at the club for so long and literally it's been his club. And it's whether now there's going to be enough of a revolt by Tottenham fans And it's when this money comes in, how that money is going to be used. Is it going to be used as an investment to actually get players in that they need, that they can feel they can compete with the top clubs and actually win something? Mm -hmm. JJ, what does this mean
1: for everyone involved in Tottenham right now as far as like, you know, you got the coach Conte, the rumors going around about Conte, whether he stays, whether he goes. Then you obviously have a a gem of a striker in Harry Kane. Are they all looking at this movement outside? And maybe Harry Kane's thinking I can get paid even more so now that Qatari Investment Group's involved?
3: Or sports I, th- I think, to be honest, we're approaching or Tottenham are approaching, a you know, a really sort of critical juncture, uh, you know, in what will be, uh, you know, their future. Because I think in terms of the ownership, also in terms of the project that, you know, Conte has kind of come in for. I mean, you look at Conte's comments from what was it less than two weeks ago, where he's talking about like whether Tottenham's project is to finish like fifth, sixth, seventh, fourth or, you know, better it's not exactly encouraging. There's a feeling really that Spurs have kind of gone as far as they maybe can under current ownership. So maybe there will be that encouragement, that optimism, uh, you know, potentially with uh, with new investment. Uh, but, you know, also, I mean, if, you know, it is still sort of Levy calling the shots, uh, you know, is there a feeling it will that be. this <laughs> No, I you mean, for the, for the, for the, for at least at least for the short to medium term, yeah, it's going to be. So, you know, is there a feeling, is there confidence in the club that, you know, sort of he can still lead, uh, you know, the club to success with a bit more backing? Or, you know, is there a need perhaps internally for, you know, bigger overhaul than just a, a new minority stakeholder? Let me, me right, jump in there quickly,
0: Ian. This kind of reminds me a bit of, obviously, Levy being at Tottenham for so long and running the club the way he has. Reminds me of Arsene Wenger when he kind of overstayed at Arsenal because he started to treat Arsenal Football Club like it's his own personal kind of wealth that he was building. Instead of competing for success, he saw success as being in the Champions League because of the financial rewards there. It wasn't about winning. So this reminds me of that same scenario in the sense of the longer that Levy stays there, the more it's going to be more of the same.
3: I think, though, I think the different. I think the different the difference though surely is that Wenger, I guess, felt like a lot of what Arsenal were doing and you know how they were trying to evol- evolve as a club stemmed out of what he'd managed to achieve on the pitch with the team. I don't you know it wasn't his personal decision to expand the stadium. And at the end of the day, the stadium, no matter how good it is now, and I know that it's supposedly the atmosphere has improved massively over the last couple of months, obviously uh, coinciding with an uptick in uh, form as well. You know, it wasn't Wenger's decision alone, uh, you know, to to expand the stadium and that stadium, you know, that financial commitment was like a, a weight around Wenger and Arsenal's neck for years and years and stopped them being able to compete in the way that they were when they were at Highbury, uh, you know, in their their prime in the Premier League let
1: me ask you both a question this one Nigel I'll come to you first on this one you know we, I was having a great conversation over about 25 pints while I was in a pub in Scotland and we were talking about the Champions League and back in the day you used to have the champions of each league playing in the Champions League now you've got the top four from every league playing in the Champions League it's kind of like a, a diluted down uh, project for for yeah. many uh, a fan out there watching it now you see a lot of teams from minority countries obviously I love to see that the the countries getting an opportunity Um, but now you're seeing teams no longer competing for the championship now you're seeing teams business-wise saying, all we need to do is to get into the top four. We financially make a lot of money. We can spend a bit of money to get back into the top four next year. And business-wise, it's a success. If you want to win a championship now, you're going to have to spend a hell of a lot more, like we are watching with a Paris Saint-Germain, like we are watching with a Manchester City, who are overspending. They're still a great business model, no doubt about it, worldwide. But for clubs like Tottenham, wouldn't it be considered a success? I mean, they're still in the Champions League. They're probably going to beat uh, Milan in the Champions League and move on. Isn't that considered a trophy for them to get to the knockout stages and, oh, we're in the Champions League next year?
0: No, 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 no. Listen, you don't understand. I've got friends who are Tottenham fans, and I'm always making fun about them not winning anything. They are (laughs) tired of the jokes. They're tired of every, even football analysis, pundits, they all make fun of Tottenham unless they played for Tottenham. Well, the reality of it, you look at Harry Kane, one of the best strikers that England have produced in a long time. Top class striker wants to stay at Tottenham, but he's not going to win anything. And people already making fun of him saying you need to leave Tottenham to win something. They get in a good place and they for somehow, some way always seems to mess it up. Tottenham. That's the reality. They've always been a selling club from when I was younger. They always used to buy the best young British players. I'm talking about when you're talking about Aaron Lennon, Tom Huddleston, Michael Carrick, they bought so many players. And they sold them on after. They've always been run as a business. That's the problem. So until they change that attitude, and again, when you say about winning the league was a big thing here, and it was subjective because it was more about the the, the nationality. <clears throat> I knew from playing back in the day, Liverpool wanted to win the Premier League more so than winning the Champions League. Even that great Champions League against AC Milan, they would have traded that in to win the Premier League title because they see Manchester United dominate the league so much so depending on what nationality you are it's a bit more subjective but it's just basically the powerhouse that UEFA has become and how the Champions League has become and let's watch not uh, let's watch FIFA they're talking about revamping the World Club Championship and again that's the fight off UEFA's dominance of the Champions League and how big and popular it's become but oh, don't, um, you it's don't you worry
1: don't no you worry that problem. was another 25 pint conversation right there what FIFA and UEFA are going to do Go yeah, on, they're going they're right. going at it
0: but just to answer your question Tottenham fans want to win something, Ian. Trust me, they don't see being in the Champions League and they don't see that as success.
1: Yep. Well, Rafa Cardenas jumping in and saying Tottenham need to move on from Levy. Nice stadium, but empty trophy cabinet, just as Nigel had mentioned right there. Tottenham fans very frustrated. BX Gunner 81, I'm sure he's not a Tottenham fan. Tottenham, long may it continue with a little laugh and emoji. I love it as well. Uh, Tottenham have wasted quality talent there. And I don't think there's any doubt about it. Tottenham is in the top six without winning anything. It's a magic trick that I've ever seen, if I've ever seen one. Um, Listen, the great comments coming in. Obviously, we all have our opinion on Tottenham and, and what they could do going forward. And, and we all know a Tottenham fan who is incredibly frustrated they want to win something and i'm getting fed up of obviously watching the business model of being get into the top four and we've we've done our job and it's about money more than it is about winning what are yeah. we in this for for these ownership sure it's about money but us we're in it for the entertainment that's why we love this beautiful game we want to see people fighting i want to see blood sweat
0: and tears i want to see okay. teams absolutely going for it to win yeah. a freaking trophy Ian, I've got a question for you then, right? So you talk about Tottenham, they look at it as success. Look at what Newcastle have done in a short space of time without spending the same amount of money of Tottenham, but look how more complete Newcastle look and more equipped and adequate they are to maybe win something over Tottenham and how many years have Tottenham been building for? So that's the thing you've got to look at as well. That's the dynamic from a fan's perspective you've got to look at. If you're a Tottenham fan, you're going to be envious of Newcastle. What they've done by buying two or three players, getting the right manager in place, And they've got the right balance of players and the coaching is right. The philosophy is right. And their recruiting is right. And they look like Newcastle look like they can win something quicker than Tottenham can. And Tottenham have been building for how many years?
1: I hear you. I hear you. No doubt about it. But let's not forget they just did get knocked out of the FA Cup from you know a team in a lower division. And let's not forget that you know winning a trophy for fans in general, if it's an FA Cup, if it's a League Cup, it doesn't matter. It's a great day out. You know it well and truly. When you go to Webley Stadium and it gives your fans, your people, and Newcastle fans more than anything, You know they live and breathe. It's a religion for them, their football club. Yeah. So they want a trophy. They'd rather have a trophy than finishing top four every single year and just going to the Champions League. Sure, they want to see the best games. They already do. Premier League's the best league in the world. But at the end of the day, I think trophies are where it needs to be. Sorry, JJ, we're cutting you out of this conversation. Let's get over to France right now. I know you've got a full slate of schedules coming up and I'm interested to hear which games you're going to and which games you've got your eye on for this week. Uh, But let's talk about the mess that's going on with the French Football Federation. Uh, You just had breaking news coming in. Let us know what that news is and give us an update on what's happening with the French president here.
3: Yeah, so the situation is that Noel Le Gret, uh, is basically being put into retirement by the French Football Federation. There will be an interim replacement. Uh, the interesting thing in the communiqué is that not only is uh, Le Gret's head rolling, uh, actually uh, his general director as well, Florence Hardouin, who's also being, uh, you know, interviewed as part of the the audit into the French Football Federation and their behavior over recent years. Uh, you know, they will both be you know, out of the picture until at least the results of the auditor known, but, you know, let's be realistic. Neither of them are coming back from this. So that is no le guy. It's being removed, uh, you know, for his own good, as well as for, for the good of the image of the, the French game and the French football federation. Uh, basically because of, uh, you know, this explosion, this outpour of, uh, uh, you know, disbelief, uh, his comments uh, against uh, Zinedine Zidane. Now, this creates, uh, you know, an interesting dynamic. You've got the rest of his mandate, which goes up until 2024. Uh, So you're going to have an interim president who you would assume kind of gets made semi-permanent for the remainder of that mandate. Uh, but then you've also got, you know, the French football team that have Didier Deschamps on this contract now until 2026, which was Le Grait's final, uh, you know, final act. Uh, and then you've got a French national team that needs a new captain as well. Kylian Mbappé obviously played a key role, uh, you know, in sort of bringing No Le Gret to, to be accountable for for his comments. You know, does that make Kylian Mbappé now the, the most powerful figure in, uh, in French football? I think there's a strong case for it. <laughs> i right, it does. JJ, with a comment like that, it was
0: personal, right? This is beyond football. When a president of the French Football Federation says something like that about a legend that helped the nation win a World Cup, one of the greatest talents we've seen grace a football pitch like a ballerina for his size and his physique. That was Why do personal. you think
1: that is though Nigel? Why do you think that is? I mean obviously we we have and we must not recognize we must not forget that there there's been a real issue with the with French football for for generations
0: now. It's like political it's, bullshit. it's got to Why? be Ian, it's one of those situations where probably things have been said behind closed doors that have never made it to the front of the media and it's a bit of he said she said to people within that environment. A bit of a similar to the entanglement of the US soccer situation, but I think that something's got back one or two conversations might have been had and when you make a comment like that and you make it public it's personal this isn't about Zidane the manager or the football player this is a personal comment directed because of a, a personal tension that they have with well he has probably with Zidane that's what I think JJ what do you think
3: I mean I'm not, I'm not gonna try to defend Legrette but obviously the link between Deschamps and Legrette was very very strong um and I think probably where Le Gretz was coming from and what he was trying to say is linked to the fact that he was probably trying to defend Deschamps, keep him in the, the strongest position possible. Because obviously Zidane in that context was being talked about as a potential replacement for Deschamps. But, uh, you know, it, it was massive, major disrespect. And I think that just reflects the way that Le Gretz was behaving to pretty much everybody, uh, you know, within the world of uh, French football, not just Uh, Zidane you know whether it was current players you know let's not forget this is the guy that uh, you know essentially kept Benzema out of the international picture for for more than five years Uh, obviously uh, you know he had his reasons to do that, uh, and that's not something that I don't think uh, you know Didier Deschamps disputed for a long while uh, until Benzema's form became so good, uh, you know that they had to bring him back into the fold. But I mean, the, the the most interesting thing is what you guys are saying, sort of as a as outsiders looking in at the the French Football Federation. Get this: reportedly, one of the candidates being lined up to potentially be Le Gret's replacement long term from 2024 is Michel Platini and Emmanuel Macron the French president has even personally got himself involved in trying to position him so that he can potentially sort of pick up the the presidency position obviously Platini is still serving the remainder of that ban from uh, you know all of the uh, the controversy surrounding him and blatter and the and, and the bribes but you know there is a possibility that we now see somebody like Platini come back to the fore uh, you know with the French football federation presidency
0: Long may it continue the drama of French football. It wouldn't be French it's a TV football show without that soap opera.
3: That is crazy. it is honestly. It's well, I mean, show. to be to be honest, you know, Netflix have their next uh, you know uh, hit series uh, right here. Wait, I'm yeah. just saying, JJ, with all the legends that they've had, a modern day legend, you're
0: telling me you couldn't put maybe Emmanuel Petit, Lillian Turam, or one of those legends that have been in the game in that position now. Like you look at other nations with what they've done. Um, what's sorry, what's the Argentinian Legend who played at Inter Milan, and he's obviously part of the Argentinian FA in a similar role. Zanetti, or he talking uh, Zanetti, yeah, Zanetti does it for Argentina. You're telling me you're going to go way back, <laughs> old school with Platini. Well, the, the, the funny, time.
3: the funny, the funny thing about this is, uh, you know, a former West Ham player could have been in line to become the the French Football Federation president uh, had there been the sort of natural succession following Le because you've got Strasbourg president uh, Mark Keller, uh, who had a, a short spell with uh, with Blackburn Rovers at the end of his career. I think he played for West Ham, Portsmouth, and uh, Blackburn. He's sort of the guy who was, uh, it it was assumed that he would uh, basically follow on from Legraite. And then suddenly, now you have somebody like Platini coming back into the reckoning. And that's assuming that Diallo, who's going to be the interim president, at least until, uh, you know, the results of the auditor are known, uh, you know, doesn't find some way to sort of make his tenure, uh, you know, permanent. So, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, politics flying around that, you know, you know, goes from club level to international level to the former players, uh, you know, but you're right, perhaps, you know, the French Football Federation need to look at some of the examples of some of these other footballing federations, uh, you know, and perhaps go with somebody who's not necessarily a star name, but somebody, you know, who will actually be, uh, you know, sort of emotionally invested in the job, uh, you know, enough to do it well and and to to do the the federation proud. Uh, JJ, I just like someone who's not corrupt. Is that too much to ask? <laughs> well, football, I'll t- I'll t- come
2: on I'll, t- I'll, t-
3: I'll, t- I'll tell you what I don't want to I don't want to single out any, any federations but I think you could probably count the the number of uh, presidents on uh, one hand if you're if you're cutting corrupt but look let's be real though before we wrap this up and wait, let me just say something well. <laughs> oh, Rocco oh, I meant to say Inter if I said AC
0: that was a mistake but I know Zanetti was an Inter legend so I apologise yeah. for that but for me it's just funny though because we talk about culture and football and different nations and how they approach it the French way of approaching what's going on with France right now for me is just the French culture. For those of you who don't have friend, friends from France, never been to France, or people you're close to that who's, who's your France. friend
3: from France, Nigel, you the ball,
0: you you back, ball <laughs> and some other people that I've played with. So I understand the French culture and how it is. So there is a bit of arrogance in all these players and discrimination. Just
1: just fucking say it, un- Nigel. Discrimination,
0: huh? Discrimination. You said there's a lot of discrimination involved in French football. I mean, let's, let's be honest. It's politics in and, and France in it's, general right now. It's discrimination politics, politics. in it. But everything we're seeing for me just ref- reflects French culture and the reality of it. Like I said, they've got so many qualified players who've won the World Cup for France and done amazing things but yet they're not getting a look in and you're going back to the old corrupt how are you going to think about someone that's serving a band from football but anyway let's just leave it because you know why it's just only going to be more entertainment for us the more the drama goes on in France so at least we've got something to laugh about more for us to talk about JJ you got a question for me go for it
3: yeah i mean uh, taking the conversation back to earlier when we were discussing mukoko and Dortmund with um with fab I-, I wanted to jump in but obviously we're at the end of our time with fab do you not mm-hmm. think that mukoko has kind of justification to feel a bit disappointed with Dortmund i mean obviously they've given him his chance to make his debut but The Dortmund project hasn't exactly pushed on the last couple of years. I mean, obviously, it's a very difficult act to follow. Uh, You know, um, Jurgen Klopp and everything that he achieved as part of the turnaround, uh, you know, that the club went through over the the best part of 10 plus years. But, you know, do you feel that there is perhaps an argument to say that Mukoko is not necessarily convinced that Dortmund is the place to, uh, you know, pledge his allegiance, at least for the next couple of years? Well, what is the Dortmund
1: project exactly? That would be the question. Exactly what would that entail? What is it? What does it mean? Um, Dortmund have let themselves down by mismanagement, some bad transfers, um, also bad sales that they've made over the years. And sure, they are a business and they've made a ton of money. They've also been a bit unfortunate with certain players who have come in and been injured. Obviously, Sebastian Allaire in particular, really unfortunate because I think that would have been awesome for Mukoko to be alongside Allaire and scoring goals. And I think he would have been a good fit, obviously, in the Bundesliga. He's already played for Frankfurt. But for Dortmund in particular, But what is the goal here for Borussia Dortmund? Dortmund are a selling club. Let's not forget, Dortmund are happy to finish second in the Bundesliga. I actually had a great conversation uh, with Vatzke, their CEO. And um, I had this conversation about maybe six years ago, sat across them face-to-face. And I said, when will you challenge Bayern Munich for the title? Because I'm sick and tired of watching Bundesliga every year being Bayern Munich winning the trophy. And I said it straight up. I was like, what's up? And he said, we Mm want to challenge Bayern Munich every single year for the title but financially how can we do that financially we have to keep ourselves uh, alive financially we have to make sure that you know um, obviously our ownership group and um you know the, the money's coming in and they're all happy with the profit that they're making which they have lost a lot of money through the the pandemic however they are a great group of producing talented youngsters. Now, Dortmund have one of the best academy setups right now. They get the best players and in many ways better than Bayern Munich. And Mukoko being one of them. They've pulled them away from a great football club in Germany called FC St. Pauli. If you don't know who they are, make sure you go and check them out. Best club in the world as far as I'm concerned. Uh, certainly politically as well. But at the same time, they do that. Dortmund bring the best talented players in and give an opportunity. So for Mukoko to be unhappy now, why is that? It's because of the success he's had. With the German national team, you get an opportunity to go to a World Cup. You get an opportunity to play in the Champions League. He's still a teenager. He's still a youngster. So in many ways, I loved what Fabrizio said. Calm the down. A lot of fake news going out there about Mukoko. I wouldn't be surprised to see him say, I'm very happy at Borussia Dortmund. I want to play. I want to score goals because you've got to be careful where you go to. We've seen it before,
0: Nigel, in the past where these superstars have gone and failed. Let me just say this to add on top of that, Ian, what you just said. People have to understand money plays a big part. It may not be the player because I don't know him. I can't speak for the young player himself. But like Ian said, the success he's had, the money that will be being discussed that he could make, that could play a part in how all this stuff is playing out right now. And it might not be the player, but it's definitely going to be the people around him who are going to be thinking about their own selfish needs ahead of the player. That happens a lot in football.
1: All right, let's get out of here. Uh, Producer Dez has asked me to keep that under a minute. It was a five-minute spiel, but let's get out of here. Uh, JJ, before we go, I know there's a full slate of games. Which one are you going to? I would imagine PSG, but which other game have you got your
3: eyes on today? Yeah, albeit uh, PSG-Angers, it's uh, not exactly, um, you know, perhaps the the best fixture on paper, top against bottom. But, you know, there is uh, still plenty of uh, talent on show. You're going to have uh, Lionel Messi making his return to action post-World Cup. But if I had to pick a game, and I'm not going to bore you guys saying that I go and watch Lens as well, I think I'd probably go and watch uh, Nice because I'm curious to see how the team play Then now that Lucien Favre is out of the pitch. you got Didier Degas, if you guys remember him from his time in the Premier League, uh, yeah. who's uh, come in as coach, so uh, definitely keep an eye on them. I also got my eye on uh, Marseille there. Tro- how do I say that? Trois?
1: Trois? 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 Trois. Trois. I've got my eye on that game as well. We're looking forward to seeing that one. All right, let's let's uh, let's get out of here, guys. It's been a long show. Obviously, great to have Fabrizio Romano on here. And it's also great for us to just follow up Fabrizio with our own conversations as to what's going on around the footballing world. We'll be back again at it tomorrow with a weekend preview. We look forward to that. Uh, please make sure you um, leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to your podcast. Also available as video, so subscribe to us on YouTube. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. That was a Champions. We'll see you again